Welcome to Local Fidelity on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Tom Gallo. Super excited to have my friend Eric Speck, host of Time to Be Useless, here on Radio Free Brooklyn, co-hosting with me today. And we're joined by Miguel of Miserable Chillers. Miguel, congrats on the release of Audience of Summer, your new full length. Thank you so much. It's out now. Out now on limited edition cassette via Baby Blue Records. And it's been a insane, interesting year, especially for musicians. What has it been like to put out a new album in 2020? Well, you know, this is the first full-length thing I've done for Miserable Chillers. And I've put out like records in the past, but they've basically always been self-released and it's just been me posting something on Bandcamp and like posting about it. So I feel like my basis of comparison is like pretty limited. I guess like under ordinary circumstances, I'd probably have been freaking out about trying to put together some type of release show for this and more like a mini tour or something like that. And that, that's obviously not possible right now, but I don't know, I feel like probably like a lot of people I'm like so deep into kind of like accepting the how different things are for the time being that like it's hard for me to even like wrap my head around like what normal life is anymore I feel very like kind of so because because there's no not the stress of setting up a release show and getting a tour going and getting all the you know all the activity that would normally circulate around uh, a release during normal times do you feel like it's a less stressful release or do you feel like on the contrary, because you don't have those things, you've got to do all this other stuff to make up for it. So it's higher stress. I think it's been it's been less stress. Part of that is like, you know, I made this album, like finished making this album like like almost a year ago and I worked on it for over two years and a lot has changed in my life since I like made it. So in a way, like putting it out has kind of been like letting go of something for me. And so it's almost like the stakes haven't felt as high as they used to when I was like what you know like pump something out and like upload it immediately after finishing it and like wait anxiously to see the play counter now I feel like having some distance from it itself has made it like pretty easy to just be like ah it's out now and I guess like not stressing about like logistics so much has made it a bit easier but I mean like I can't imagine how different my position would be if I were like in a band like a work, work a full-time musician or you know in a band where like a lot of my livelihood depended on being able to get an album out there and like go on tour to support it i mean for for working musicians or like musicians who whose livelihood comes from them touring with other bands and stuff like that like that's that's brutal and i imagine the stakes must feel real high for releases but i guess from my perspective it's it's been it's been nice to just like let it go and share it yeah totally and we were both excited to learn that you're from New Jersey originally. So we were curious where, where you're from. And I always like asking artists and musicians who are from New Jersey about their experiences playing music uh, in New Jersey music scenes growing up. So what was that like for you and just where are you from? So I'm from uh, like, I, I moved around quite a bit when I was a kid or lived around from Jersey, but like mostly around like North Jersey, Bergen and Passaic counties. I lived in Farallon, I lived in Hawthorne, I lived in Ridgewood, I lived in Waldwick. So a bunch of different kind of towns. And like, you know, I'm I'm 27, uh, I was born in 92. And like just a few years before, like I was really like old enough to play music or really go to a lot of shows. There was kind of like a, a boom of a North Jersey indie rock you know, like real estate and, and uh, Titus Andronicus were like a town over in Glen Rock and like Vivian Girls and a lot of those bands. But like, I missed that entirely. So going to, sh- going to like shows and playing shows in New Jersey when I was in high school was kind of like, it was the dominant genre was like mathy emo rock with uh, with all the, the kind of twinkly guitar lines. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of my good friends, you know, made made that music, and I, I I love them and can't knock it. But it was not never really like my thing, and I feel like you know trying to like get involved, I sort of played a little bit of that kind of emo emafy stuff. But it was never was never really what spoke to me. Uh, I always wanted to make something more 
like melodic and less uh, less perky jerky in that that kind of way. But I mean, yeah, you know, I went to a bunch of house shows and I don't know. I, I always I, I never felt super super a part of like a community growing up in, in Jersey with respect to music. I definitely like had a lot of memorable memorable experiences and one of my favorite kind of like local bands for a while was the band Spookhouses, uh, with members who went on to form other bands like uh, Level Up and Trace Mountains and the guests who are like a kind of Philly goth communist jangle jangle band and they were kind of doing they're, they're kind of doing more of the straight up indie rock band at the time was what really appealed to me and that was kind of what i was doing at the time when i started visible chillers was it's kind of more straightforward uh guitar indie rock based thing yeah totally and the earlier miserable chiller stuff from listening to it it definitely fits into that mold it's more guitar driven and now it seems like on your new record, Audience of Summer, your sound has really expanded a lot and there's a lot more going on. You know, there's really gorgeous harmonies, greater use of synths, especially on tracks like The Glass and Calendar for Annie. How'd you start uh, diving into that type of experimentation and a way to further expand your sonic palette? There was always like a strain of that in what I liked growing up, you know, I remember like the three things that like my dad would play in the car when I was really little was like Queen's Greatest Hits, Volume One on cassette, Close to the Edge by Yes, and like Magical Mystery Tour by The Beatles. And I kind of think those are all like, even though I wouldn't call any of those things my favorite thing ever, they're kind of like ur texts for me a little bit just because they're so embedded deep in my brain. And th those all have a kind of symphonic, like big synthy sounds or whatever. And around high school, I got really, really into the band Prefab Sprout, yeah, who totally. are like one of my bigger influences, I think, musically. And, you know, I think my interest was kind of always there, was started skipping there more as I got older. But for a while, I feel like that wasn't either accessible to me. Like I didn't, I couldn't play well enough to make those kind of sounds or like I didn't think people would be interested in hearing that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know, around 2015 or so, I like was bored of doing the kind of music I had been doing. And I kind of realized like, well, I can do whatever I want. It's my, it's my band. I can make whatever sounds I wanted. And I started like, I got really into like learning how to like do stuff in MIDI. I spent a lot of time making like funny like fugues and like weird like video gamey sounding music just on GarageBand preset instruments. I did this whole project in 2015 with my friend Dylan that came out on Orange Milk uh, called Magic the Happening that was kind of like an attempt at like a MIDI jazz fusion project. Nice. And I feel like uh, it, 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 like we used the slap the GarageBand slap bass in every song on that record, and I feel like doing that got me more confident in like programming keyboard parts and like using like weird chords and in, in my like songwriting and in my arrangements and so I started applying that to miserable trailer stuff and I think it's just been over time getting better at it having more insight into like how to approach arranging things and just uh, getting more ambitious and I think another thing that shifted for me is like I became more patient with like making music and I realized that like you know, I always loved playing games like SimCity as a yeah. kid, um, where you can get so granular and just spend time like laying out a street grid or like a in public infrastructure, like a subway line or something like that. And I think it's like a similar itch that I sometimes scratch of trying to like, fill in every detail on a track really intricately. And it became something that I got a lot of pleasure out of doing. And so I was able to really take my time filling in every detail, these songs. And One of the things like I, I noticed about songs, Audience of Summer is I feel like the, the tracks are really well orchestrated. There's a lot, there's a lot of layering of instrumentation. Um, and like you said, intricate arrangements. And I think that's what makes it really, really strong. It's got a lot of um, depth to each song has a lot of depth sonically. And I'm just wondering, like, in your songwriting process, how the orchestration fits in. Do you write the nucleus of the song as just like a melody and a chord progression? And then as you're in the weeds of recording, you're like, well, let me tinker with a little keyboard melody. Or is it more fully formed? And as you're doing the actual songwriting process, are you like, no, this is a grand song and I know there's going to be orchestration here? Like, where does that 
fit in the creative process? Is it, is it later on or is it in the beginning? I think it's generally for me, the way it's been has been like sitting down with a guitar or keyboard and like writing chords and a melody and like maybe like a few like ideas for words and then like slowly building on that. But I think like, I feel like I'm always having to figure out new ways to write songs as I'll just get stuck for a long time. Like there's so many, I have so many voice memos on my phone of like song ideas that I thought were good, but whatever I like sat down in front of my computer to try to like record them, I just couldn't get past like the phase of sketching them out or something. So I'm always trying to like trick myself into like doing things. And like, I think what the last song I made for the record calendar for Annie was one where I actually kind of like on the subway, like commuting, if you remember that, like uh, <laughs> in my head, kind of in my head, kind of came came up with what I wanted to add there. Like, oh, I want to have this like guitar marimba counter line here and I want to try all these elements out and that was kind of that was kind of novel for me because yeah I usually it usually is just like coming up the nucleus of an idea and then playing around with it on the computer and adding stuff on the fly and seeing what sticks but I don't know I think once I started to become a little bit more like confident in my ability to like realize the sound I had in my head but that first process time, is like, pretty cool though because you kind of don't know what you're going to end up with right I mean you start out with this germ of a song and then probably the finished product you've got something totally different where where it took a left turn with some of the instrumentation and whatnot, and it ends up being a different beast, you know? Yeah. That's that. That's actually one of the really exciting things about, and scary things about, like, making stuff is, like, there's always that point where you're in the middle of the process and you have no idea whether you've lost sight of the song entirely, whether, like, you like it or not anymore, whether you're just kind of like, in the woods, and then, like, I don't know, it's a good feeling when you come out of that process and you're, like, now, this is exactly what it should be. Yeah, this this went completely the right direction. I feel like that's kind of like what happened with the first song, Saga Sword, where like I had the melody, I like came up with the melody and just started trying to record it like right there on the spot on the computer. Yeah. I had this vague idea of doing a Kate Bush meets like suicide thing. Um, but it ended up yeah. sounding just like kind of more like a Bruce Springsteen song. Which, you know, going back to the Jersey thing, I'm definitely not <laughs> mad about because I, I love Bruce very much. But it was it was kind of funny seeing how it diverged from my original like expectation or like vague idea for it. We're also Bruce fans. Actually, I game. heard a sprinkle of the killers in, in that track. I think that makes sense, too, right? You like you a Brucey vibe with like some big sense is like the killers kind yeah. of. Yeah, that's right. part of killers DNA. I always thought it was funny how that's the, the the when you were young by the killers is kind of like an exact like it borrows the form exactly from born to run like that song like its structure is just substituting every part of born to run with like a <laughs> right. slightly different idea like you have like the main guitar riff and then you have like a big descending crashing thing into like an unrelated seeming bridge mm -hmm. and then back to the big big yep. riff for the triumph and you know the killers have some songs yeah, they've got some, definitely. I'd say that. But you met. <laughs> they've got some songs. Yeah, they do. You mentioned Saga Sword, which is the first track on the record. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album. Super dense again, sonically, like we were discussing, and it's inspired by that story about that Swedish girl that found an old sword in the lake. It was like fifteen hundred yes. year old sword. And what was it about that story that? drew you to it and how did it inspire this did the story itself inspire the song sonically at all um no it was like i read the story and i had this idea that oh i want to write about this somehow because there's something about it that's very compelling to me and then it was the case that like i came up with that like riff and melody for that song and i was like yeah this is like the right right Kant setting for this idea for a song ahead but what what drew me to that story was that like there's so many details that like really aligned for me it felt kind of like a like a a fairy tale for end times in that you have this it's like this lake that they go to that their families been going to for generations and it's like at its lowest level ever you know so like the the, the specter of climate change is kind of evoked by this like lowering sea level the water evaporating or like you know drought kind of draining draining the sources of the lake 
And like it was lower than anyone remembered, even like her great grandparents or whatever. And no one had ever found like a sword or anything that old and in there before. And something about like a very young person finding this like very old thing. But like geologically or like on, on like a geotime scale, but very young thing. I mean, even even those lakes, I remember doing research and like a lot of those lakes in Sweden are glacial lakes, which means they're formed at the end of the last ice age, just like ten thousand years or so ago. That's very young. Yeah geologically speaking the oldest lake in the world is like several million years old for comparison yeah. so i was really struck with this idea that like here's this young dying lake in which like a lot of a lot of the span of like human history as we know it is contained and it's like how quickly and how and how small a time scale we've we've mucked we've mucked it all up you know and uh, I don't know, I just, a lot of those things, those details just really connected with things that I was thinking about a lot at the time. And I guess still do think about, about how we relate to climate crisis and like, you know, how hard it is for us to like wrap our heads around the, the scale of the problem because we are, we're so young, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to me because it seems like the story fits in with a lot of the other themes of nature that are present on other songs on the record was this something that started that theme for you or was it something that you were kind of working on already and then you found out about this specific anecdotal story and thought this plays in really well and i want to explore it further i think i had like you know I've, i'd kind of gotten tired of the way i've been writing songs previously and i felt like I didn't know how to write. I couldn't, didn't know how to write in a way that felt credi credible to me anymore, like straightforwardly about myself. So I was really looking for ways to like find something different to write about or like write differently than I had been and try to access something in a more roundabout way. Um, and so I've been like kind of keeping track of like things that had really like hiked my interest and like climate crisis is something that I think about a lot. And so that story, I knew I wanted to write a song based on that story. And that was kind of like the first song that came together for the album that like solidified my confidence in my ability to like do that. That was like the moment where I was like, okay, I can kind of take this, I can channel whatever is happening to me when I read a story like that, whatever the weird way I'm kind of inspired and turn that into a song. And like, it, it feels good. It makes sense to me. It feels like a, a fitting use of, of my perspective or like my voice. And, this is something I want to pursue. So like doing that song really kind of gave me the confidence to like explore those themes. Wait, I have and a all question for you. When you're talking about inspiration for, you know, yeah. your writing, I read an interview with you where you name checked uh, a bunch of authors. I think yeah. Faust and Dillard and whatnot. And it's really cool to hear you seek inspiration from writers like that. So, I'm I'm wondering who are your favorite lyricists? What lyricists do you also get inspiration from? And second part to that question, are there any current artists out that you think are are great are great lyricists and are doing something interesting? Current current artists. Current artists. Well, in terms of like lyricists, here's a funny thing. When it comes to listening to music for me, I'm like very lyric second. Like the way I relate to music, lyrics are like, it takes me a while to start to process lyrics. And I'm, I respond emotionally more to music itself than to the lyrics generally. I mean, I, I care a lot about my own lyrics because like, I don't want to, I feel stupid singing something that, you know, I don't believe in or doesn't feel right. But I'm definitely not like a super lyrics oriented person when it comes to how I listen to music in general. I think that to me like great lyrics are lyrics that like feel very like in concert with or like in dialogue with the music and it kind of in service of what the music is doing for example the blue nile i think their lyrics are very like simple and like they don't necessarily hold up to direct scrutiny but like they're very evocative and impressionistic in this way that suits their music so beautifully and so well so i find them very very moving i feel like i'd have to give a lot of thought to think about contemporary artists whose lyrics i like really specifically kind of relate to i i love i love nap eyes in that respect band, i like yeah. i like their approach to lyrics uh i think uh you know 
I'll, I'm not the first person to say this, but I think Big Steve, I like their kind of it's lyrical a visceral thing for some people in a, a different too. way. You know, you react to the to the textures and the tones and the emotions first, and then the lyrics are like a secondary aspect. I mean, for me, it's it's. I don't know yes, if I want to say exactly. it's, diff- it's totally different, but it is different. I definitely react to lyrics. Like, it's important to me that whatever someone's singing is interesting, creative, honest, uh, adventurous, something, you know, that can I can also seek some kind of intellectual inspiration from as well as the emotion emotive part. Um, obviously, you say that and then you listen to, you know, a song like, Louie Louie or whatever right and like it doesn't mean anything really and it's still right. a great song so you know there, yeah. there's there's that nebulous space in rock and roll where meaning doesn't necessarily have to exist in a literal sense as far as like a narrative in lyrics it's just all about the sentiment of the song oh yeah I think it can it can really come down to for lack of a better word a vibe um, one song I think about lyrics, lyrics of all the time that I just think is like so, like such a perfect, like meeting of like music and lyric is uh, "Walk Away, Renee" mm-hmm. by The Left Bank. One of my yeah. favorite ever songs. The lyrics are kind of like very like adolescent and juvenile, but they're like suffused with all this kind of like rich detail, highlighting the smallness of the world like the protagonist kind of lives in, and like that coupled with like the preciousness of like the faux baroque vibe of the arrangement kind of encapsulates like the 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 crazy high stakes of like being like young and in love for the first time while also highlighting like the smallness of of the world that 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 love exists in and that's something that like you know appealed to me a lot as a teenager listening to it and like fills me with a lot of like tenderness now listening to it so I also was just listening to like an early 90s Joni Mitchell song, uh, Coming From the Cold, and was kind of appreciating the lyrics for the first time. How, I mean, Joni Mitchell is obviously an incredible lyricist, but that song was really kind of moving me in a more lyrical way yesterday, listening to it out here in the backyard. I wanted to ask you about The Glass, which is an incredible song on the record. It's the second single from the record. And how you're able to, you know, really vividly uh, recount and soundtrack specific childhood memories. And you really strive to recreate the oral experience, what you heard during those moments. So I was just curious what it was like accessing those memories, trying to remember what you heard, the experience that you were hearing, and how you were able to recreate it. Uh, through the song, The Glass. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, that song is interesting for me because it did kind of start from a lyrical, like, starting point, which was just this idea of, like, pressing my nose up to a glass, like, kind of this vivid sort of childhood kind of curiosity, but contained, you know? I've always had this sense, you know, yeah, I've always had this sense that, like, my relationship with the world around me feels really mediated and like I don't feel like I have direct access to anything and I've always felt like it's I've had an easier time feeling things through music and through through books and other stuff than like what's directly in front of me I've always feel, felt kind of disconnected that way and like something about that image of like and that kind of childhood memory of like looking out a window like on a snowy day or something and like pressing my nose up to a glass like felt like pretty kind of spoke to very directly to like that kind of general like feeling and some of my sadness about this feeling of feeling disconnected uh i don't know i think a lot of things kind of came kind of came intuitively together with that song i had been obsessed with this one judy sill song uh till dreams come true and i was no one had transcribed the chords on the internet so i was trying to figure them out myself and was just really admiring them and tried to take some ideas from them and like came upon that sort of melody and i had this idea of like somehow my mind associated with this kind of melody from a zelda game uh yeah. the observatory theme in the drawer's mask which is one of my favorite games ever and that made a huge impression for me as a kid and somehow like the, the meeting of those two kind of little musical ideas like brought it all together i don't know i think i've been kind of 
tapping into a general video gamey vibe and a lot of the music I'd already been making for the record. So kind of came naturally. And then I don't know, at one point I decided to have to have frog sounds on it. So I sought out some frog sounds and popped them right in. So you, there's a lot of collaborators on this record too. Friends, people that you worked with previously, you dedicated the record to one of the collaborators, uh, Sarah Goldfarb. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did all these collaborators bring to the record and what was the process of working with all these different people over the course of the two year period that you recorded and worked on the record? Well, a lot of the making of a record was like a really solitary process. We were just kind of sitting in my room and tinkering. And I, I can get into these kind of like really deep involved states of like working on something for like hours and hours. And it's a very like precious, sacred, solitary moment for me. But then I always have to acknowledge like there are things I can't do. Ideas I hear are like vague senses of something that I know someone else can help me access. And so a lot of it was just, you know, my friend Kabir, who sings a lot of the songs, he lives in Oakland, but he would visit the city every now and then and I'd have him come over and be like, hey, let's want to sing on this song. And we'd like work out harmonies right then and there. And he just nailed them. He's an amazing singer, a much better singer than I am. Or, you know, Lola and Megan both came over just a couple of times and we worked up. I, I, uh, we, we would just kind of figure out what we wanted to do with the songs. And I'd always like to hear like what came to mind for them. And like, I always felt like those songs were kind of improved or enriched by like just the added texture of another voice, but also like do you, the do unexpectedness you of another interpretation. and recording songs solo? Uh, or do you like prefer to collaborate, but circumstance and just, you know, artistic drive for this particular album has led you to really, like you said, have it be this more solo, solipsistic experience, if you will. I think I get different things out of different processes and they feel like completely different to me. I I love being in a band and like playing with people and like jamming and learning how to communicate musically and, and seeing what comes out of that process. But I also value very much like that, that state I can kind of hit, you know, working by myself and just kind of having the space and time to be alone and totally absorbed in this process. I think like I get a lot out of making things and it's such a trial and error, slow process. I don't think I can necessarily have that experience with like other people, but I very much value like what it feels like to collaborate. But it's like, you know, when I collaborate, it's, it, it, it's something I'm doing with someone else and it's a joint ownership, joint joint custody versus like, the feeling of doing something myself that is like my own and like bringing other people in to help me kind of get closer to what I'm envisioning for it. You're donating, uh, you and the label are donating 50% of proceeds from Bandcamp digital purchases of the record to Bedsty Strong. Just uh, tell us a little bit about that organization, what it means to you and why you selected it. They're a mutual aid organization that's kind of helping people who are immunocompromised or for whatever reason, like don't, can't go out to get food, you know, get, get food and groceries. I just think that mutual aid, like in a time where like the state is failing so crucially to like provide for the needs of of the people and a, a, a pandemic or and an economic meltdown is like such an important, you know, alternative model. I wanted to make sure that, you know, some, whatever like meager proceeds this album makes, that some of it goes towards the community I live in. I've lived in Bedside for the past past four years. And it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a constant question of how like, as an individual, you try to be as like responsible as possible to like the impact your presence has in like the community if you're essentially a gentrifier. And so, um, Bedside Strong is an organization doing valuable work that I like. think is super important. And I wanted to make sure that I was, I was directing some of those resources that were people were spending on this record towards towards the community I live in. I'd say, very very awesome, very noble cause. That's incredible. All right, everyone. So now we're gonna play some songs from Miserable Chillers' brand new album, Audience of Summer. 
We're gonna play Saga's Sword, The Glass, and Calendar for Annie, and then we'll be back. We'll chat some more. You're listening to Local Fidelity on Radio Free Brooklyn. Since I've been keeping 
We're back. You're listening to Local Fidelity on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm here with Miguel of Miserable Chillers and my awesome co-host, Eric Speck. He's the host of Time to Be Useless on Radio Free Brooklyn. So we've got two Radio Free Brooklyn DJs here and one super talented Brooklyn-based musician, Miguel. And we heard three songs from Audience of Summer, the brand new album from Miserable Chillers. We heard Saga's Sword, The Glass, and Calendar for Annie. If you like what you heard, which I know you did, you can get it on limited edition cassette via miserablechillers.bandcamp.com. This cassette is being released via the Great Baby Blue Records. And now we're going to play some local music. 
curated by Miguel of Miserable Chillers. Since we talked so much during the first part, we're only gonna have time to play a couple, but let's get to it. First up, we have Summer in the City by Lily Konigsberg off of her awesome new EP, It's Just Like the Clouds. I've played this exact song, I think, multiple times on this show, and I'm a, just a really great, great pop songwriting on this EP. And she's very impressive because she's in Palberta and Palberta is incredible. And this is kind of totally different. Yeah, I remember uh, like years ago, I used to write for Ad Hoc. And I remember we, we covered one of the early Palberta songs and I've been like following them and their music ever since. And I think Lily is like one of the great songwriters out there right now. And as a lyricist, I think someone like a present-day lyricist that I very much love and appreciate the way she approaches lyrics. So again, like very much kind of in harmony with like what the music is like setting out to achieve and often like kind of impressionistic or kind of painting painting a, a picture that the music is working to paint to. So yeah, I, I, I'm a big admirer of her music. As am I. Next up, The Cradle, Eyes So Clear. Uh, man, the Cradle, the the records, all the records that they put out so far are so amazing from a like arrangement, production, and songwriting perspective. I, I forget whether this new album has come out yet or not, but this is one of the songs from it. It's just you know, just really, it's really moving. It's like beautiful. It's like un- makes up a lot of like unusual choices that like really do it for me. I think they're they're one of my favorite favorite bands going on right now. Can't wait to hear this song as well. And then last track, Bugsy by Red Widow. So, um, Red Widow was the project of um, Sarah, who Sarah Goldfarb, who passed away um, back in December. Oh, I'm so sorry, I um, didn't know that. Really suddenly, yeah, and. Um, we were we were partners for about three years and we worked together on some of her music so um it was really kind of an amazing experience for me to like work with her and helping her bring her kind of vision and her music to to life and so i wanted to i want to always call attention to whatever i can because i think she was an incredible songwriter with a pretty impressive kind of just vision for how her music could sound. I think the opening lyric to that song, two hands touch at the bottom of a swimming pool is like one of the best lyrics I've ever heard. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I'm very, very sorry for your loss. I did not know that as, you know, this is a very nice uh, tribute as well to continue to spread her music and keep her legacy alive. Did you work with her on this particular track? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, We recorded this in my room like a couple of years ago. Um, she like came with these crazy guitar chords and we just kind of started chipping away at an arrangement and then she wrote these incredible lyrics for it. Yeah, I did listen to this song a little bit before and it really struck me from the very beginning and I can't... Yes, yeah, it's, it's scary yeah, sounding. <laughs> it's, it's got like a very that post-punk kind of feel to it so I can't yeah. can't wait to share this song with everyone we're gonna play three songs selected by miguel we're gonna play summer in the city by lily konigsberg eyes so clear by the cradle and bugsy by red widow and then we'll be back to wrap things up you're listening to local fidelity on radio free brooklyn
You're listening to Local Fidelity on Radio Free Brooklyn, community radio broadcast from the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you, so if you'd like to support our mission, you can make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. No donation is too big or too small. And again, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so your contribution is tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that is RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to be in the know about new programming, upcoming RFB events, interviews, ticket giveaways, special offers on RFB swag, and more. Sign right up, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. And if you're listening on the internet, you could also take RFB with you on the go via our Apple and Android apps. You can download them at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash iPhone and RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Android for the Android app. And finally, we know COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We've made significant efforts to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events But our hosts are still doing their best to continue to bring new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their homes or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of past shows. We need help, though, and there are several ways you can help. You can give a one-time or monthly donation to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. You'll find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other things like that. You could also use your phone to text RFB Gives to 44321. Remember, no donation is too big or too small. Thank you. And now back to Local Fidelity. You're listening to Local Fidelity on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Tom Gallo. I'm here with my co-host and good friend, Eric Speck, and Miguel of Miserable Chillers. We just heard three songs curated by Miguel We heard Summer in the City by Lily Konigsberg, Eyes So Clear by The Cradle, and wrapped up that set with Bugsy by Red Widow. So sadly, we're coming to the close of the program. Miguel, thank you so much for joining us today. It was incredible chatting with you on Local Fidelity. And Eric... Thank you so much for joining me as co-host. Thank you for having me. I was actually super excited to uh, talk to Miguel and, and you know dive into Miserable Chillers. It's a great record. Really exciting. Everyone, audience. Thank you both yeah, so much. Yeah, thank you. Audience of Summer <laughs> is out now. You can get it on limited edition cassette. Highly recommend it. I'm a proud owner of the cassette. Sounds really good in my tape player over there miserablechillers.bandcamp.com again 50% of proceeds from digital purchases of the record will be going to bed stay strong Miguel before we go anything else going on with you this year do you have any live streams scheduled or anything like that that you're working on coming up <sighs> nothing really i've been working on a lot of music so i'm hoping to do something with that and have more stuff come out maybe later this year that's what i'm hoping awesome for. well we can't wait to hear more new music from you we're gonna play one more song from audience of summer card captor miguel thank you so so much for taking the time to speak with us today thank you thank you so much it was a pleasure Thank you. And this is Card Captor. Yeah. 
Come on.